0: Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care.
1: How you guys doing this morning? Christmas Eve, amen. My kids tried to wake me up early this morning, talking about some less open gifts. That's the one thing I don't like about Christmas. My kids have been asking me about Christmas since July. Every day. Is it Christmas yet? Anyway. Uh, always a joy and a pleasure to be before you, um, so thankful, again, every opportunity I get to, to bring the word, to bring God's word uh, before you. I know most preachers say I'm not going to be long, uh, but I, I, I'm going to say what I, what I got to say this morning. I'm going to get on out your way. Amen, somebody. Um, <laughs> uh, if, if you would, though, if you would stand to your feet as we read God's word and open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Beginning at verse 9, we're going to read down to verse 13. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, down through verse 13. If you're there, say amen. 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 That's enough of an amen. All right. Uh, On three, go ahead and start reading. One, two, three. Amen. As we continue and, and end our series on uh, our Advent series uh, on hope is on the way, uh, I'm going to tag our text this morning, an unfortunate respond, reception. An unfortunate reception. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful and grateful for your mercy towards us, your kindness towards us. We are thankful that you sent your son Jesus to be a light to the nations that we might See the light that we might know him for who he is, that we might receive your word, that we might know who you are, as your word later says, that he came uh, so that he might reveal who you are. Uh, And so, we are thankful that through your word, we have a clear picture of who Jesus is. There are many who have come along that have tried to dissuade us from believing your word there are many who have said that this is not the real picture of who Jesus is but God there is clarity in your word and so we are thankful that we are without excuse that we can see your word that we can see who your son Jesus the Christ is and that there is an expectation for a response from us so father we pray that we would hear your word clearly this morning that we would respond to it by faith in Christ's name we pray amen amen Amen. you may be seated I'm, I'm not a huge Christmas person. I'm more of a Thanksgiving person. I think I, pre- I said that last time I preached, right, how people always try to rush me past Thanksgiving to get to Christmas, right? Um, the one thing, though, that I do love about Christmas is the music. Now, I still don't like being rushed past Thanksgiving because I know some of y'all like playing Christmas music in, like, October, right? <laughs> That's not my ministry, right? I want to wait till Christmas season... To enjoy, but I, I I love listening to Boys to Men. Let it snow, you know. I I, I just I love it, you know. Then Brian McKnight come in on the second verse and, you know, and kill it. Now I can't listen to it in July, but in Christmas time, you know, I'm I'm there all day long. But there's 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 another song, uh, that has become extremely popular over the years and has been covered by so many various artists. Um, and 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 if I sang it, you guys would know it. Now I can't sing, but but I'm feeling in the Christmas spirit. So, I, I, but no, listen, listen, listen. If if I start off on the wrong note, go ahead and just just get me back to where I belong. Right? You know, like it's now it's it's a little song that goes like this. It's, it says, "Hang on the mistletoe, I'm gonna get to know you better." What's the next words? This Christmas... Y'all don't know the rest of the song? Yeah, there we go. This Christmas... High note. Fireside is blazing bright, yeah. And we're caroling through the night. And this Christmas... Will be a very special Christmas. Y'all, y'all like that. Y'all like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all weren't expecting that, was you? Y'all weren't expecting that, was you. Now, now, now. Now, uh, um, imagine, imagine with me for a minute. Imagine with me for a minute. Imagine that you had written that song. Right? Imagine that, that you had written that song, and, and that this song became what essentially is like the Black National Anthem for Christmas. <laughs> if I can be honest, right? Now imagine that you wrote this song, that this song was so popular that it became the an- National Anthem for Christmas for an entire community of people. And then imagine that whenever somebody heard this song... They didn't think of you, they thought of somebody else. Imagine that your name is Nadine McKinnor, a Chicago post office worker who wrote this song three years before Donnie Hathaway sang it. Now, if I walked around the street and, and that song came on and I told everybody, man, I wrote that song. They wouldn't believe me. Like, they, they, that's Donnie Hathaway's song. Everybody know that's Donnie's song. Everybody know, know Donnie sang that thing. But imagine for just a minute that your hard work went to somebody else. On, the credit that rightfully belonged to you was in somebody else's hands. Now, even though people wouldn't believe me, I, I, I could almost not fault them for not believing me. But I still would be very upset that I had to provide proofs to you to try to convince you. I would have to pull out records of receipts to show you, just to prove to you something is true that I already know to be true. You know, it's interesting that that's what the apostles and the authors and the writers of the Bible often had to do, especially in the Gospels. They are writing these narratives of Jesus' life to prove to you something that they already know to be true, but many don't believe. Matthew writes his gospel and he says, Jesus, this this Jesus who I'm about to tell you about is the Messiah, the one who is to come. Mark says that this Jesus is the suffering servant sent from God. Luke wants to explain to you how this Jesus is the son of man. And now we get to the book of John. And John, he writes his narrative, he writes his gospel a little bit differently. He doesn't build his argument and then crescendo at it at the very end with the resurrection. No, John starts his gospel off at the very beginning and say, I want to get things straight so that you don't get it confused. I'm starting this book off to let you know that Jesus, the one I'm about to tell you about, is God. Just so you don't get it twisted, I want you to come in. When you read this book, I want you to read it from the lens that Jesus is God. My argument starts with, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God. Yeah. And the word was God. When you read the rest of the book, you better read this book in light of the fact that Jesus, the word, right. is God. Yeah. 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 This is where we find ourselves when we get to verse uh, number 9, which actually brings me to my first and only point. This morning, as we talk about hope is on the way, an unfortunate response, my first and only point, if there's nothing else you don't hear from me, I want you to hear this. Hope brings the expectation of a welcoming response. Well, good. Well, that's good. Hope brings the expectation of a welcoming response. Look with me at verse number nine, it says that the true light, the light that gives uh, the light. Uh, that gives light to everyone. Was coming into the world. Now uh, he says the true light that gives light to everyone. That word light. Uh, is phytozo, or to light up, to expose, to bring light. Jesus says in John 12, he says, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. He says that this light is a true light, which lets us know that there are other lights that can be shown, but they are not the true light. Here, John is making the distinction that there is light in the world, but the light that I'm telling you about is the true light. This true light is the standard by which all other light will be judged. He says he says the not only is it the true light that sets the standard of what is true for all else that we hear, that we see, that we experience, but he says this this true light is for everybody. He says he says that, that this true light gives light to everyone. There's there's a couple of things that 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 John wants us to know as we think about the idea of this true light that brings light to everyone. Later on in verses 10 and 11, he'll talk about how this true light that brings light to everyone even comes to those who are hostile to God. But here, he, there's a couple of things he wants us to know. He's, he says, there, there, there's some things I want you to know about this light that make it true and that make it distinct and that make it very different from any other light that may be out there. He says this, number one, this light invades the darkness shining on every person and exposing him or her for who they are. What, what does that mean? That means that Christ as the light shines on each person either in salvation or in illuminating him with regard to his coming sin and judgment. So there is, there, the, the, one of the jobs of the light is to expose who you really are. It, it, it shines itself on you. To let you know whether or not your deeds are evil or your deeds are good. Whether or not you are following God or whether or not you are rejecting him. The, the, see, you, you can fool yourself and you can fool other people, but you can't fool the light. Not, not only that, but he says, he says not, not only does the light let you know who you really are and, and oftentimes let others know who you really are, but, but the light doesn't exempt anyone it means the the light is universal right it it exposes everyone it shines on everyone this this light doesn't exempt you you are not exempt from being shown in the light and even though you might get away with your mess for a little while eventually the light is going to shine right on it not only is the light invading us and showing us who we are not only does it not exempt us. But in this course of the gospel, uh, it divides the audience and the hearers. So not only does light shine on you, not only does light not exempt you, but the light also divides. And in chapter 3, we see Jesus say in verses 19 through 21, he says, this is the judgment. Now the judgment divides. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that the works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So he's letting us know that that light divides, so that those who don't like the light because they love their darkness, they love evil, they love their sin, it says those types of people avoid the light. They avoid being exposed because they know that what they're doing is evil. But those people who are righteous, those people who are walking in the ways of God, they don't mind being exposed by the light because they ain't got nothing to hide. The light exposes us for who we are. The light doesn't exempt us, and the light divides us to let us know which side of the line we fall on, whether for God or for evil. What's, what's interesting about this light is this, this brings up the idea often referred to as the scandal of particularity in Christianity. What that means is that this light is a specific light. There is only one light. That's why John references it as the true light. This light that he's referring to is Jesus, who is the Christ, meaning that in order for you to believe, you have to believe in a specific person that existed at a specific point of time in a specific place. The, God, the scandal of particularity means that there is only one true light that you can believe in, and his name is Jesus, and he existed Two years ago, 2,000 years ago, not two years ago, but 2,000 years ago, in Jerusalem and in that area, and he existed, born of a virgin, and he had a mother named Mary, and he had sisters and brothers, and he preached, and he taught, and he healed the sick, and he made the lame walk, and the blind see. And if you don't believe in that Jesus who existed then, who was that type of person, then you might not be following the true light. The true light is very specific. It's not a general idea. It's not an esoteric thought. There aren't many ways to the true light. There is one true light, and you have to believe in this true light in order to be saved. John is claiming that in Jesus we have received the real thing. The truth from which all truth flows, and the criteria for recognizing truth wherever it may be found in the true light. Look with me at verse 10. He says, Now, this true light, this one who was also referenced as the world, or the word earlier, he says, He was in the world, and the world was created through Him, and yet the world did not recognize Him. Now, John uses this, word, this word "world," uh, "cosmos," and it's an important theological term in John's writing, not just in this gospel, but also in, in his epistles. First, second and third, John, he uses this word often matter of fact. In this gospel alone, John uses this word 78 times. Now, this word sometimes can have a neutral sense. But in many ways and in many regards, it has a negative connotation attached to it in most of its uses. It essentially means, as in the latter part of this verse, see here it's neutral when he says he was in the world and the world was created through him, those are neutral, talking about the created order. But by the time we get to 10c or the latter part of the verse where it says, yet the world did not recognize him, this is when it comes in, the negative connotation comes in. And what he means by this is he is saying it is the sphere of creation that lives in active rebellion against God. So it's not just the created order. It is the sphere of rebellion of humanity that is living in active rebellion against God. That's, that's, that's important for us to know because he says that Jesus, this, this light was in the world, the world that he created, and yet the world, what he had created, didn't recognize him. Yeah. Yeah. This word recognize, in light of its Jewish background, it's, it's more than just walking along on the street and not seeing some, not recognizing somebody that you, that you know. You know, that happens often. You'll walk by somebody, not even really see them there, or look at them and just you just, I don't know what's going on. You just don't even think about you. And then they tap you and be like, hey, what's going on? Oh, man, I didn't even recognize that was you. How you doing? No, that's, that's not just what is being used here. That's not what's being talked about. This, is, this word is so much more deeper than that. It has so much more meaning than that. It's, there are more implications tied In in the Old Testament, to know God or to, to recognize God is not only to recognize who he is, but more importantly, to respond to him in obedience by faith. So to recognize God isn't just to know who he is, but it requires a response of obedience by faith. That means if there is no response, there is no knowledge of God. Now, now, now that, that, that's, that's, that shouldn't be like a surprise to us, because when we look at Romans chapter one and chapter three, we see how Paul characterizes the world. We see how Paul characterizes humanity, how he characterizes the Gentiles, how he characterizes the Jews. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll, I'll pull out a couple of verses for you. He says in verse, chapter one, verse 20 it says, for "For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God." or show gratitude, but instead became uh, thinking, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. If that's not enough for you and you don't feel like that fits how you've known God, maybe you think you've known God all of your life, Cause you grew up in church and sang on the junior choir and served on the junior usher board and you were at church for Sunday night Bible study and Wednesday night Bible study and you even went in the kids ministry and served. maybe that's your story but I'm here to tell you in chapter 3 Paul's got a word for you and it says that there is no one who is righteous not even one there is no one who seeks God all have turned away there is no one who does what is good not even one so just in case you thought that you you were the exception to the rule God's word is letting you know right now and right here that there was no one who ever existed that sought out God by themselves so we have this this world this this created order that is now living in utter rebellion against God that doesn't know God doesn't recognize God doesn't give God his due and, 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 and he doesn't leave it there in just a general sense. He goes on to verse 11 and he says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now what's interesting about verses uh, uh, 11 and 12 is they, they in some ways kind of reflect a layout of the entire gospel. Where, where, where verse 11 kind of lays out chapters 1 through 12 and describes the rejection that Jesus experiences from his own people. And then verse 12 uh, 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 describes the, the people who have embraced God through belief and faith and now are becoming his people, right? So when we look at verse 11, it says that he goes from the general in verse 10 to the specific in verse 11. He came to his own and his own people, did not receive him. Now, who is he talking about? John is talking about the Jews. He's talking about Jesus's people, the the Jewish rejection of the Messiah, despite convincing proofs of his messianic identity. And that's one of the major emphasis of John's gospel is despite all that Jesus has done to prove that he is the Messiah, his people still reject him. Despite the miracles Despite his preaching and his teaching, for some reason, they still reject him. It's interesting that this group of people, that historically, God has called them out of bondage and out of slavery from Egypt, and he has walked with them. Through 40 years in the wilderness, he gave them their own land and established them a king. And even though they continued to go wayward, he gave them promises of redemption, and he came back and redeemed them. And then there was a period of time where he sent them out as slaves, as exiles, and then he gives them promises of redemption again and brings them back into the land. And throughout all of this time, he's promising that all of these things that he's doing for them and that he has them doing is to point them to an ultimate redemption that will come on their behalf that will come from their people and when Jesus steps on the scene they still can't see him this is the irony of John's gospel and of this group of people is where readiness and receptivity should have been heightened for a group of people where there should have been a keen awareness that, must, that the Messiah was on his way, all there was to be found was rejection. You know, there's something that goes on on uh, social media. For, for all the reasons that I dislike social media, there are some good things about it. One of the great things that I love about social media is you get to see the creativity that exists in the world from other people that you otherwise would have missed out on. Whether it be you know comedy sketches or songs or paintings or dances or just things that are happening in the world where you just appreciate humanity because those things are going on, right? Now, there, there's something that happens which, which I find extremely funny. It may not be funny to you, but for me it's extremely funny um, when, whenever something racial happens in, uh, in society, which is happening, obviously, a lot lately, right? Not that it's happening more. It's just more visible because of social media. But whenever something happens that just really offends the black community, one of the first places I go for my solace is to black Twitter. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. If you have a Twitter account, just just go to the search bar and type in hashtag black Twitter. If you don't have a Twitter account, borrow somebody's and just go read read through it. But what happens is whenever something terrible happens, one of the ways that for some reason we try to console ourselves or soothe our pain is we kind of make a mockery of the thing that happens to make ourselves laugh because laughing through that pain is somewhat therapeutic. Right? But, 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 so there's this thing called Black Twitter. I go there to get laughs, to kind of help me cry through, you know, my frustrations. Uh, but every once in a while, you'll see something happen and you'll see a statement like this show up on Black Twitter. We, the delegation, would like to trade in Stacey Dash or Amorosa, whoever it may be, for a couple packets of hot sauce and some Cheddar Bay biscuits. Right? So there, there's this thing that happens where people that embarrass us as a community, or not, let me not even say this. it's not even about embarrassment, but when when people reject the black community and perpetuate stereotypes purposefully, especially when they have some sort of a platform, then what happens is the community at large rejects them because they themselves have been rejected. Right now, Jesus ain't like Amorosa, so don't get that. And he's not like Stacy Dash, right? But, but the, the, the theme it, itself is the same where there is a rejection of the community of your people because of something that you've done. Jesus was rejected solely because he said he was the Messiah. To them, his, his assertion that he would dare. Be the Messiah was a direct assault on their Jewishness. It was to perpetuate a negative stereotype about their religiosity to claim that he was indeed the Messiah. And so they rejected him. Then it goes on and says, it says that his people did not receive him. They, they did not receive him. This is not merely intellectual agreement with some facts about Jesus, but also welcoming and submitting to him in a personal relationship. Again, going beyond the academic thought of receiving into the personal. Receiving Jesus means that I'm willing to submit my life to him in a personal, intimate relationship. But it, it, it's interesting that Paul then goes on in, in verse 12 and he, he, he ends verse 11 with, he came to his own people. His own people did not receive him, but for those who did receive him, those who did submit to him in personal, intimate relationship, those people he gave the right to become children of God. You see, he says he, says, he, gave, he gave power to those people to become children of God. For those that are willingly willing to give themselves to God in an intimate relationship where they submit to him by knowing him in response to obedience by faith, he says those types of people, he allows them to become children of God. He, he allows those people who have believed upon the name of God to become children of God. Not, not just a friend of God, not, not just a next door neighbor of God, not, 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 just, not just a coworker of God. He's, those people who have believed upon that name have been given the right to become children of God. See, that, that, there are some benefits to being called a child of God. I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't treat everybody else's kids the way I treat my kids. See, the, the hard work of my inheritance that I leave behind, I'm not giving it to some stranger. I'm giving it to my kids because they are my children, which means they are now called by my name, which means everything good that I have belongs to them because they are children. Yeah. Those who did receive him he gave them the right to be called children of God to those who believe in his name that believe in his name means to put their confidence in him it in some language it means that they hung on to him with their heart I I, I like how one how one translation says it says that they it says that they pastor Larry it says that they they leaned on him heavily that that's that's what it means when when you put your belief in God, when you put your trust in God, when you put your faith in God, it means that you take all of yourself yeah. with nothing left behind yeah. and you put all of your weight yeah. on him yeah. so that he can hold you up. Now, I, I, I don't know if y'all have ever done this, but, but, but every once in a while when you want to really try and see if somebody, like if you trust somebody, yeah. they do these little experiments, right? And they put somebody behind you and you stand here and they tell you, put your arms here and close your eyes and then you just lean back, right? Now, now for me, I don't trust y'all that much. I'm just gonna be honest with you, right? Like, like I'm, I'm a big boy, so ain't gonna be none of that putting all my weight, leaning heavily on you, because some of y'all can't hold me up. But, but 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 listen here, I, I, I thank God that when Jesus holds me up, it's more than just my body. It's more than just my problems. It's more than just my disappointments. It's more than just my fears. It's more than just my frustrations. It's more than just my bank account. It's more than just anything else that I can bring to him. When he holds me up, he holds all of me. verse 13 he says he says he says to all who receive him he gave them the right to be children of god to those who believed in his name but then he he adds he adds a little something there right because if he if he if he left that verse alone if he just ended the verse there then you might think that your salvation depends upon you you, you might think that you actually earned your way into the presence of God, that, that somehow your belief was simply because you wanted to believe and that you became a child of God on your own. So John had to add a little extra to the verse. He said, let me add a little something lest they get this thing confused. So he goes on to verse 13 and he says that, that those who were born not of natural descent. He says those who were, who were born not of the will of the flesh. Those who were born, not of the will of man, but of God. He says, now now to be a child, you've got to be born. And so John here is trying to get us to understand that since you've already been born naturally, how then do you become born so that you can now be a child of God? is is it the same manner of way that's that's why Nicodemus was confused in chapter three because he says man how can a grown man go back in the womb again and be reborn I don't see how that's going to work God you talking about this rebirth but I'm kind of big and she kind of small I don't know how this going to happen and Jesus Jesus he, he says to Jesus he says Jesus Man, how, he's been, how can these things be? How like, how, what you talking? Like, you got to explain this to me. And Jesus is confused. He says, Nicodemus, ain't you, you're like, you're a teacher of the law and you don't know these things? I said, man, how you going to be up here preaching to people you don't even know the word? How you going to open up the text and you don't even know the word for yourself? Like, I asked you a simple question and now you confused and all this stuff. Listen, Jesus is saying, he's saying, John is saying here, he's saying, it's not by natural birth that you become a children of God. He said, it it, it doesn't matter what family you were born into. Doesn't matter how rich your parents were. Doesn't matter how poor they were. It doesn't matter if they were homeless yeah. or if they lived in a mansion. Yeah. And listen, it also doesn't depend on your planning. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter that you planned around your job or you waited till you had enough in the bank account. Maybe you got there by accident. Yeah. You know what, that's okay. It doesn't matter how you got here, but that has nothing to do with whether or not you become a children of God. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you think you a messianic Jew or a black Hebrew Israelite. None of that stuff matters if you are not born again by God. <laughs> <laughs> to be born again by God is directly tied to belief in his name. He says, there's nothing you can do to manipulate being a child of God. You can't earn your way in. You can't buy your way in. You can't study your way in. Everything that you would exalt as being good or something that's worthy to be exalted, you know what, I'm going to flip this thing around. In order for you to be a child, I don't care about... The natural exaltation that you guys give man. What I want you to do is something foolish. I want you to believe that there was a baby born from a virgin. I want you to believe that this virgin never actually touched a man in her life. I want you to believe... That this baby would grow up and have favor placed upon him with God and man. I want you to believe that this baby would grow into a man and live a perfect life. I want you to believe that this baby would grow into a man and die a perfect death. Then I want you to believe that this baby who grew into a man and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death would then go up on the cross and voluntarily give his life for all of those who rejected him. And then he would stay in the grave for three days just long enough for you to think that he was really dead and then that baby who became a man would get up with all power in his hand and that he would ascend to the glory that's on high but not only that that he would leave some old raggedy men behind to tell everybody about the story of this Jesus and that they would establish some churches that would go out and preach the gospel and tell you this foolish message. And the only way for you to become my child is to believe. Maybe you're in here and you feel like like you're a little bit like Nicodemus. Experiencing some doubt, some unsurety about this message and how all these things work together. Maybe you're like Nicodemus and, and God threw some things into your life that shook you up and rattled you. So now that you're unsure about who he really is, Maybe you're in a season of doubt and discouragement, a season of loss, or a season of sickness. All John is trying to tell us here in this passage is that no matter what it is that you're going through, there was a man named Jesus who came into this world so that your hope could be made real. And if Jesus took care of your ultimate need through salvation, then I, I just want to tell you, it, it doesn't matter where you find yourself right now. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're going through. If your greatest hope has already come, be encouraged, beloved. Because hope is on the way. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are thankful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have a true hope in Jesus Christ. We can rest assured with all that we have that not only was his sacrifice sufficient, but that he's going to come back again. He's going to take us home to be with him. And so, Father, as we experience the difficulties of life The trials of life even now today, Father, I pray that we would not be discouraged, but we would know that even though our hope of sin, our hope of salvation was taken care of, we can have hope that you will meet us no matter where we are because you love us and you care for us. Your word says if, if, if God gave us Jesus, why would he withhold any other good thing from us? That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we have. That we serve a good and mighty and loving God who cares for us and has provided us a way to be children of the Creator of the world. So, Father, we just say thank you. This holiday season, always say is thank you. We might not have enough money to buy all the things that we want for people to decorate the house like we want we may not have a lot of things but we did receive the hope that you gave us and for that for that alone father god we say this day thank you and amen
0: Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.